Okay, we are we are reading now in uh, Luke, Gospel according to Luke, and we are in chapter six as we go through the chronological life of Jesus. Last time we covered a portion in Luke chapter six, verses one through five, and then we also read from the the, the parallel portions in Matthew, and also the same portion is also in in, in Mark. But now we're going to read from Luke chapter six, verse six. And there's a parallel portion also in Matthew and in Mark about this same incident. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. Now what happened on another Sabbath also, he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and he stood. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save a life or to destroy? And when he looked around at them, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to destroy Jesus. So Jesus goes into the synagogue. Man is there with a withered hand. Luke tells us, that, that uh, it was his right hand, because Luke was a physician. In Matthew and in Mark, when you read about this account, it just says a man had a withered hand. And that's how a typical person would, would, would reference it. But a physician will reference which hand. Very specific. Shireen re- recently had knee surgery. And before the surgery, she was laying in the bed, and, and uh, the, the surgeon came in. He said, which knee is it? And she confirmed, it is my right knee. He said, good. I am going to initial your right leg. And he took out a ballpoint pen and initialed her leg. Then he said, I want you to initial that leg. And she initialed that leg. They don't want to do the wrong leg. I mean, we've heard all these horror stories about operating on the wrong limb and things. And, and, and so this is what physicians do. So, so it's very precise. A man is there with a withered hand. Jesus heals his hand. They wanted to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. And we learn actually from Matthew's account in, in, this is in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, or I'm sorry, in verse 10 it says, And behold, there was a man who had a, had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? So this was a setup. They, they brought this man with the withered hand to the synagogue to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. There was no problem with healing on the Sabbath according to the law of Moses. There was no commandment in the 613 commandments against doing this. But remember, according to the Mishnaic law, this was one of their human-made commandments. And again, this is the source of the controversy with Jesus. It is that he was not following the the human-made prescriptions that they had come forward. These commandments that they wanted people to live by. And so they set him up to see him heal so that they could accuse him. And then it says, if, if we look at at, at, at the account in, in Mark, <clears throat> Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, it says in verse 3, And he said to the man with the withered hand, this is Mark 3, 3, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by their hardness of hearts, He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. 
Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So they were plotting how to destroy him. And these are, these are really despair partners now. The Herodians were, 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 were folks who felt that you could, you, you could uh, as long as the commandments, uh, that, that uh, they could work with Rome as long as the instructions were coming through the house of Herod. The Pharisees believed in a passive resistance, had no respect for Herod at all. And in fact, these are two despair groups coming together to seek Jesus' destruction because of his failure to abide by the Mishnaic law, the laws that, that were built by, by human sources. But you see what bothered Jesus. It says that he was angered. Jesus looked around at them, this is in, in Mark 3, 5, with anger, being grieved by their hardness of hearts. Because he, he had said to them, in the other portion, if you have a, a sheep falls into a pit, you're going to pull the sheep out, aren't you? How much more value is this man than a sheep? And he was angered with them at their hardness of heart. So you can see, remember what the scriptures tell us. We, dis, we discussed this last time. How we have to be guided by mercy. Mercy. <clears throat> Not by, by, by uh, uh, desiring to keep this or keep that. We must be be run by mercy here. And he looked at them because of this grief at their hardness of hearts. And so the next thing that happens, we, we'll read it on in... in uh, uh, th- this, is, this is a portion now that isn't discussed in Luke, but it's discussed in Matthew and Mark. Luke doesn't cover this particular uh, event. So this is the next event in Jesus' life. This is in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. <clears throat> But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, so when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit in him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. This same portion is actually covered in, in, in Mark, and here's how Mark describes this. This is immediately following the healing of the, the man with the withered hand. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples, this is Mark 3, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, to the, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, from Judea and Jerusalem and Dumea, and beyond the Jordan, those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, and when they heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that many, as many as had afflictions, pressed about him and touched him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Remember, he never wanted to be made known by the demons. Though they recognized him, he didn't appreciate their testimony. The crowd was so great, it was saying that they were crushing him. He had to tell his disciples to get a boat ready. It is never clean to do the work of God. A lot of times messy things happen. Some may say, well, you know, if this was really of God, why are they crushing him? There would be order here. No, it's not always orderly. I mean, things 
go on that aren't always orderly. You pray for the sick. You cast out demons and it is never orderly. And, and so what he was doing, it says that there was such a great crowd, and it marks it, there was a multitude from Galilee that followed him. A multitude. It says from Judea, so this is down the whole region around Jerusalem, and Jerusalem. So now you've got four days walk from Jerusalem up to the Galilee. People are there. And then, it's not just from there, it says from Idumea. That is the region where, where Beersheba is, where Ben-Gurion University is today. That is the region in the southern part of Israel. So it's about at least a week's walk, maybe more, from that region all the way up to the Galilee. And then from Tyre and Sidon. So then you have, this is Phoenicia. This is where many Gentiles were. They had come down to the Galilee. And it says beyond the Jordan. So on the other side of the Jordan, more Gentiles. So this is surrounding, not just by Jews at this point, but by Gentiles. Lots of people coming. They're all touching him. They're getting healed. Multitudes and multitudes getting healed. There's no indication that they had to have faith. The, the need for faith is going to come later. Just multitudes are being healed. Gentiles as well as Jews. And then Matthew, the portion that we read, I want to look at this. Matthew quotes this portion from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 4, is quoted in the Gospel according to Matthew. That's, that's uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. So Matthew is quoting a prophecy from 700 years earlier by Isaiah, saying that when my servant comes, he's going to proclaim the word also to the Gentiles. This is what Jesus is doing. Gentiles from Phoenicia, from beyond the Jordan, are surrounding Jesus. They too are hearing the word of God at this point. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. So Jesus wasn't standing on a street corner and preaching. Not that there, there isn't a time for that. Jesus wasn't doing that. He was going into the, into the wilderness. He was going by the Sea of the Galilee and preaching. He was in the synagogues preaching. We will see times where he's in the temple speaking. But Jesus was here up in the Galilee. And this is what it's talking about. Now, verse 20. This is what I want to focus on today. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. So again, another prophecy that when the Messiah comes, he's going to reach out to Gentiles. This was really disturbed the Jews. In fact, when Paul said, I was sent to the Gentiles, immediately the Jews got so upset, they said, away with this man, kill him. They didn't want goodness brought upon the nations that they felt had tormented them. But this verse that it says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. A dimly burning wick he will not blow out, it says. A bruised reed he will not break. Jesus has this amazing amount of mercy when we feel that we cannot come through in a certain area. There is this amazing amount of mercy. I'll speak from my own life, and then I'll speak a little bit from the life of Charles Spurgeon, who's, who's my hero in the faith. Uh, 
from my own life. I'll tell you some things where, where Jesus has been able to deliver me in so many occasions where I felt inadequate. You would think that a bruised reed he will not break. So when you feel inadequate, he doesn't just come and clobber you. How dare you feel inadequate? Why don't you rise up and have enough faith? I mean, people will say that to you. Jesus doesn't say that. It says, a dimly burning wick he will not blow out. So if there's just a spark of life there, Jesus is very concerned about taking that spark and using it. From my own life, you know, I got saved at the age of 18. And by the time I was 20 or 19, I was being asked to lead in different Bible studies and do certain things. And I felt totally inadequate for this. And you would think, okay, well, by the time I was 21, then I felt adequate. No, I didn't feel adequate. And, and uh, uh, so for years and years, I was being thrust into positions feeling totally inadequate. I'd never had seminary training. Never had any training beyond what I had just gotten in churches and Bible studies. And, and, uh, uh, but com- totally being put into different positions where I felt that I couldn't come through. When I was 28 years old, I was, I was an assistant professor at that time. And at the same time that I started my assistant professorship, I started working in prison ministry. And all of a sudden, I was put in front of groups of prisoners. Now, I had never been in a prison before. I had never even been in a county jail. I had never been arrested. And here I was in prison. And the people in prison are in many ways different than me. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a nice home. They didn't grow up in nice homes. There are guys there that, that would routinely, you know, one of the prayer requests commonly in, in the Bible study group was, oh, you know, we were playing cards today and a guy said something I didn't like, so I knocked him off his chair and I kicked him on the, in his head till he was unconscious and I just want to ask God to forgive me. And, you know, th- this is the type of thing, I had, had never had that experience before, having to ask God to forgive me for that sort of thing. This is the type of guys they were. These were in a maximum security prison. And I kept being put in front of these groups of men, so I would be given this little platform, and men walking all around in the yard, and you got to stand up and try to get their attention. And, you know, get a little crowd. And, and I felt totally inadequate for this. Or they'd bring a group in, and, and there'd be hundreds of men coming in, and, and uh, because they had to come in, we would, there would be certain events that they had to come in, and then all of a sudden I had to stand up and get their attention. And I will share with you some verses, some scriptures that I started to, I would just start reading to myself as they're coming in, just saying, God, you've got to do something, do something through me. And so turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 1, and it is these portions that would encourage me, because I would even get depressed before these types of things, like, how am I going to do this? I mean, there were Satan worshippers there. there were, I didn't understand their culture. I didn't understand their ways. And, and look, look in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, so this is the word that came to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my word in your mouth. I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to build, and to plant. And here I would be 
be sitting and watching all these guys coming in, and these verses would encourage me. I would read these verses, and it was as if the Lord was speaking to my heart, that He was speaking to me. And, and look at what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says, how can I do this? I'm a youth. And God says, don't say you're a youth. Well, I am a youth. He says, fine, but don't say it. You know, he's not contesting the fact that Jeremiah is a youth. Jeremiah is young at this point. He says, I can't do this. He says, stop saying that, because everywhere I send you, you're going to go. He says, I have put my word in your mouth. It is God that calls you. It is God that calls you. So he takes this dimly burning wick, this bruised reed. You think you can't handle it. And I always felt too young for the task. I always felt too young for the task. And then overnight, I felt too old for the task. That, how can I relate to students? I mean, they're so young. I mean, they've got these smartphones. they just got a dumb phone. I mean, they don't even carry it. They've got all these things. How can I relate? So you never feel like you're adequate. You never feel like, okay, I've come. I've arrived. I'm ready for this. You'll feel either too young, and the next day you'll feel too old. You will never feel comfortable in the task that's before you. This is what he says. He says, the Lord touched my mouth. He put His Word in my mouth. This is what God does. He takes His Word, and He will place it in your mouth for the opportunity. 28 years old, assistant professor. All of a sudden, the first year that I became a professor, five people joined my group. Usually you get like one person. All of a sudden I get this group. The next year, four people. I had nine people in my first year join my research group. This, this group that was bigger than most of my colleagues, and I was only there two years. And I felt totally inadequate. You know, they took me, I you know, TA'd a few labs, and they dropped me in front of a lecture hall with 300 students, and they say, teach. Teach. You will continually be put in places where you need to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord does this because He works in our hearts to show us what He's going to do. And then I would read on in, this, in, this, in the prophet uh, Jeremiah, in prophet Jeremiah, reading chapter 1, verse 17 now. Chapter 1, verse 17. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron, as a wall of bronze, against the whole land, to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So you see what he does. He encourages me by this portion. The same thing he spoke to Jeremiah, he spoke to my heart time and time again when I felt inadequate. He said, gird up your loins, arise and speak to them. Get up and speak to them. Just this encouragement from God, get up and speak to them. Get up and do the task that is before you. God instructs you to do this. Get up and do this. He says, do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. As Spurgeon puts it, be afraid to be afraid. Don't be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today a fortified city, and as a pillar of iron, and as a wall of bronze. And I would meditate on this thing, watching me, and I'd say, I am a pillar of iron. I am a wall of bronze. And boom! I'd just go in there, and 
You know, the God just immediately, I just grabbed their attention. It wasn't me. The Word of God would fill and does this thing. Just this past week, I was invited to East Texas Baptist University in Marshall, Texas. And, and uh, you know, I don't particularly like being away from my work, but to serve the Lord, I will do it. And, and, and they asked me to come and give a chemistry lecture and to give a chapel service. I said, I won't come to give a chemistry lecture, but if I'm coming there to do the chapel service, I'll do it. So I gave the chemistry lecture and I did the chapel service because I said, if I'm going to spend the time, four and a half hours to drive up to Marshall, Texas, I want to speak the Word of God. So there were like 400 of these students coming in and they apologized to me beforehand. They said, you know, many of our students, they, you know, they, 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 their, their minds kind of wander. I said, oh, so you're telling me that they're not going to give me their attention and they're going to be doing their homework and things. They said, yeah. I said, don't worry. I know college students. I know how that is. And you know, but I'm praying, and, and, and we had this prayer time before I went in there with, with, the, uh, with the guy who, who leads the spiritual life. And I just fell on my knees, and God just started anointing me. I just started praying that he'd just break through to their hearts, just break through. And I gave it to them. For 40 minutes, I just blasted them. And, and uh, uh, one after another came up afterwards. They said, you know, we never hear the word of God like that. We never hear. I'm telling you, God takes you out of your feeling of inadequacy, and He uses you, if you are willing to step out and be used for Him and His glory, He will use you throughout your life. You will feel totally inadequate, or you will feel too old. And I saw these kids coming in, and they're a whole lot younger than I am, and they're giving each other high fives and slapping each other's on the behind. I, I guess this is a new move or something these, this, these days. I hadn't seen slap slap as they go by. I mean, is, is this something new, or is, is that everywhere, or just there? So, so and, and anyway, there's these things that, that, that again, I, I feel too old, but I said, Lord, none of this too old stuff. We're just going to do it. We're just going to do it. And God will take you and use you. Now I want to read to you about, about the life of, of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, he is the printer preachers. He got saved at the age of 16. He started, uh, he started teaching some Bible studies and he started filling in some, for some friends in a church a year and a half after his conversion. So he's 17 and a half and he's preaching. At the age of 20, the age of 20, now that's like your age. At the age of 20, he was called to do a three-month rotation, at, uh, uh, a three-month uh, uh, probation internship at a, the largest church in London. And... You know, you talk about feeling inadequate at the age of 20. And so he would have to speak to crowds of five to 10,000. No microphone. He had a bellowing voice. And he, he did this and, you know, after three months, they asked him to be the pastor. At the age of 20, they asked him to be the pastor. And... Uh, uh, so he served as pastor, and so he was, his life was from 1834 to 1892, so you see the time period. He would preach ten times per week. Ten times a week he would preach. Uh, it is estimated that he spoke to ten million people uh, in his lifetime. He would speak regularly every week uh, to five to 26,000 at a time, is who he would speak before. There are 3,600 recorded sermons where people would transcribe the sermons as he would speak. And then he would proof the sermons the next day and they would be published. 3,600 sermons, 49 volumes. Uh, 
At the age of 22, he was the most popular preacher alive. At the age of 22. You say, well, you, you know, how did, how did he hold up with all of this? Well, let's read a little bit from his own writings. Now that he's an older man, he's reflecting back on his youth and the experiences. And this is in a portion that he's written about called The Minister's Fainting Fits, where he confesses his own times of depression and melancholy. You ever been depressed? Has anybody here ever been depressed? You know, God is able to lift people out of depression, lift people out of feeling inadequacy, and in fact, He uses it. That's what I want you to hear in this, how God uses depression and the feeling of inadequacy for His glory. I am not just a, I'm not, you know, a happy, jovial person. I am not. I admire people who are, but I am not. It is God who has to lift me out of this all the time. So listen to his life. Some of the things he writes. He says, Before any great achievement, some measure of the same depression is very usual. Surveying the difficulties before us, our hearts sink within us. Now, let me just preface this. The way Spurgeon writes is his whole life was so engrossed in the Word of God, he takes passage upon passage of scriptures and just incorporates that into his writing. And if you know the scriptures well, you recognize these different occurrences that he's talking about. If you don't know the scriptures, you wonder what he's talking about. But he presupposes you know something about the scriptures. The sons of Anak stalk before us, and we are grasshoppers in our own sight in their presence. The cities of Canaan are walled up to heaven, and who are we that we should hope to capture them? We are ready to cast down our weapons and to take to our heels. Nineveh is a great city, and we would flee to Tarshish sooner than encounter its noisy crowds. Already we look for a ship which may bear us quietly from, from the terrible scene, and, and only a dread of tempest restrains our recant, uh, 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 recreant footsteps. Such was my experience when I first became pastor in London. My success appalled me. And the thought of the career which it seemed to be opening up, so far from elating me, cast me into the lowest depths, out of which I uttered my misere, and found no room for Gloria in Excelsis. Who was I that I should continue to lead so great a multitude? I would betake me to my village obscurity, to immigrate to America, to find a solitary nest in the backwoods where I might be sufficient for the things which would be demanded of me. It was just then that the curtain was rising upon my life work and I dreaded what it might reveal. I hope I was not faintless, faithless, but I was uh, timorous and filled with a sense of my own unfitness. I dreaded the work which a gracious providence had prepared for me. I felt myself a mere child and I trembled as I heard the voice which said, Arise and thresh the mountains and make them as chaff. This depression comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing a large blessing for my ministry. The cloud is black before it breaks, and overshadows before it yields a deluge of mercy. Depression has now become to me a prophet in rough clothing, a John the Baptist heralding the near coming of my Lord's richer benisons. So have far better men found it. The scouring of the vessel has fitted it for the master's use. Immersion in suffering has preceded the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, look, what he, look at the way he characterizes depression. 
This is the most successful preacher ever. Ever. This is how he characterizes depression. Depression has now become to me as a prophet in rough clothing, a John the Baptist heralding the nearer coming of my Lord's richer benison, which is blessing, my Lord's richer blessing. This is the way he characterizes it. So if you feel that I am depressed, how could the Lord ever use me? This is the testimony of a man who loves God. I am telling you, this Jesus is the one who doesn't break a bruised reed. This is the one who doesn't extinguish a dimly burning wick. This is the one who takes depression and uses it as one to carry you on. He uses depression to carry you on. Then he talks about how depression can come following some great work of the Lord. You know, you would think that after some great work of the Lord, you go out on some you know, to some Christian conference and you're all pumped and excited and you all go out together and you share the gospel, that then you're going to come back and you're going to be so excited. For weeks you're going to be excited. And generally the opposite happens. Generally after some great message that you will give, some great sharing, some great you know, testimony that you'll give in, in Agape where so many were blessed, that, or in the Navigators group, that, that you'll come out of there and you'll be so excited and it'll just carry you through for weeks. And just the opposite happens. And, and, and uh, Spurgeon writes about this. He says, It might be imagined that amid special favors our soul would soar to the heights of ecstasy and rejoice with joy unspeakable. But, is not, but it, is generally, it is generally the reverse. The Lord seldom exposes His warriors to the perils of exultation over victory. He knows that few men can endure such a test and therefore dashes their cup with bitterness. See Elisha, after the fire has fallen from heaven, after Baal's priests have been slaughtered and the rain has deluged the barren land. For him, no notes of self-complacent music, no strutting like a conqueror in robes of triumph. He flees from Jezebel, and fleeing the revulsion of his intense excitement, he prays that he may die. He who would never see death yearns after the rest of the grave, even as Caesar, the world's monarch, in his moment of pain, cried like a sick girl. Poor human nature cannot bear such strains as heavenly triumphs bring to it. There must come a reaction. Excess of joy or excitement must be paid for by subsequent depressions. While the trials last, the strength is equal to the emergency. But when it is over, natural weakness claims the right to show itself. Secretly sustained... Job can wrestle all night. Uh, I'm sorry, Jacob can wrestle all night, but he must limp in the morning when the contest is over, lest he boast himself beyond measure. Paul may be caught up to the third heaven and hear unspeakable things, but a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, must, must be the inevitable sequel. Men cannot bear unalloyed happiness. Even good men are not yet fit to have their brows with laurel and their myrtle with bound without enduring secret humiliation to keep them in their proper place. Whirled from off their feet by a revival, carried aloft by popularity, exalted by success and soul winning, we should be chaff which the wind driveth away, were it not that the gracious discipline of mercy breaks the ship of our vain glory with a strong east wind, and casts us shipwrecked, naked and forlorn, upon the rock of ages." You see why he was the prince of preachers. 
God does this, you will go from just a high where God has used you to a low. You say, what is this? What is wrong with me? God is using this depression to keep you from exalting yourself so that you realize from where you came and so that you can continue to be used. This is what God does. The depressions that we go through, the melancholies. You know, God has chosen, the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God has chosen the weak things of the world, the base things of the world. God has chosen the things that are not, that He might nullify the things that are. God has specifically chosen us because we are weak, that He might shame the wise. God has done this. God does this. He specifically does this. So when you're in those times of depression, where you feel absolutely overcome and I am of no use to the Lord, don't forget that this well may be of the Lord to keep you from exalting yourself. That this is to you a prophet in rough clothing, a John the Baptist heralding a new word for you, that glory will come. But this is to keep us in our proper place, to keep us from strutting about as a great conqueror might strut about, to realize from where we came. All of this is of God. He has a whole chapter on the fainting fits of the minister, the melancholy, the depression that comes. And you have to fight with this. You know, there was a time in his life that... He was in a, 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 a lecture hall speaking to 10,000 people. Somebody stood up and cried out fire. There was a mass exodus because in those days there were never enough exits for everybody in a large crowd to get out in time. And There was a mass exodus. There was, there was not a fire, but what there was in that exodus, many people were trampled to death in the exodus. This impacted him so much He was just a young minister at the time. It impacted him so much that he would go into crying spells that were uncontrollable. For years he struggled with this, as to how this could have happened. These things happen to people. Depressions happen to the greatest of men, to the strongest of women. People go through this. You are not alone. Jesus has this word for us. That he doesn't break a bruised reed. He doesn't extinguish a dimly burning wick. This is his message for us. He is there for us. And if you will take his word and allow yourself to be encouraged by it, where he says, I am going to make you as a fortified city, as a wall of bronze, as as a pillar of iron, as a wall of bronze. I will do this in your life. You will see great things in the challenges that are before you professionally, in the challenges that are before you spiritually, in the challenges that are before you in outreach, you will accomplish more than you ever imagined if you allow the Lord to take you and use you. And don't be overcome by the depression. Realize that these are seasons and they will pass and allow the Word of God to pick you up to encourage you to go on. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray particularly for those here who have struggled with depression, struggled with these feelings of melancholy, who feel that how could they ever be adequate for the tasks that You have called them to be in. Father, I pray that they would see that they are not alone. That even as Elisha cried out that he might die, 
So he even had these thoughts of ending his life. Father, thank you that that we are not alone in these feelings. And Father, I pray that you would take these young people and cause them to be able to take your word and be prepared for the task, to be able to perform the task that you have for them. And Father, as they slip then back into times of melancholy and depression, that you would help them to realize that all of this is part of your purpose, part of your purposes in life. Father, the grace of God be upon them, I pray. May these young people be different because of your word. In the name of Jesus. Amen.